Gainesville, you're going to want to hear this. Steve Spurrier's Gridiron Grill restaurant is getting ready to open in Celebration Point, and the head ball coach needs some of the finest folks around for his team. We're still looking for some great recruits. It's very similar to football. The team that usually recruits the best players has the best chance to be successful. We're sort of finishing up recruiting season, and we'll be ready to go in June. With more than 18,000 square feet of space and the ability to host up to 500 people, Spurrier's Gridiron Grill is going to be the destination that every Gator fan wants to visit. We'll be the ninth largest restaurant in Florida. We've got the rooftop bar called Visors, and we'll have a private dining room along with a big bar and outdoor area. Downstairs is going to have the main dining room, plus we'll have those three private rooms. Spurrier's Gridiron Grill is looking to add about 375 members up until May 15th. Go to Spurrier's Drive Fill out an application. Steve Spurrier recruited a whole bunch of All-Americans in his time as a Gator, and you could be next. Podcast fam, John Spence is recognized as one of the top business thought leaders and leadership development experts in the world and was named by the American Management Association as one of America's top 50 leaders to watch, along with Sergey Brin and Larry Page of Google and Jeff Bezos of Amazon. John Spence is an author, international executive coach, professional development educator, virtual trainer, strategic planning facilitator, keynote speaker, and developer of online learning programs. John was the owner or CEO of six companies and currently serves as a board member or advisor to several organizations and executives. As a consultant and coach to organizations worldwide, from startups to the Fortune 10, John is dedicated to helping people and businesses be more successful by making the very complex awesomely simple. I have a feeling that he is going to do that in today's episode, episode 159 of the WHOA GNV Podcast. You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and today's episode is being brought to you by The Best Restoration. You guys, you need to have friends on your side when disasters happen, when that toilet overflows or when that pipe bursts in the wall, or or if you're like us and you move into a place that's full of mold, the best restoration is there for you. I can speak firsthand to the quality of their work. They have helped us out at New Scooters for Less multiple times. With their certified techs and state-of-the-art equipment, these guys are the masters of disaster. Give them a call at 352-505-3321 or visit them at thebestrestoration.com. And you guys, Gainesville is growing every day day and no one knows that better than the GNV commercial advisory team at Collier's Gainesville. They help businesses and investors of all sizes buy, sell, lease and manage their properties in North Central Florida. The GNV commercial advisory team has the most local experience and expertise in town plus the resources of a global firm to get your commercial real estate deal done. Ready to get started on your next commercial project? See what they can do for you at Collier's.com slash Gainesville. Thank you to all of our amazing sponsors. Be sure to check them out at whoagnv.com slash sponsors. You can get links directly to their websites. Please support these companies because they are the ones that make this possible. And you guys, they really made this possible because we have an amazing show lined up for you today. Uh, I am so excited to welcome back John Spence, author, coach, speaker, educator, and business extraordinaire, 
Those are my those are my words. I like them. <laughs> Do you like them? I'm good with that. I'm those good with those that. are my words, uh, not his necessarily. <laughs> but John, welcome back, man. Thanks, Colin. It's good to be back, my friend. Do you know what episode this is? What number? I have no idea. This is episode 159. Wow. Okay, and I had to go back and look because you you came on in one of our earlier episodes. It was episode 52. And That's, so you've done that, a few yeah. since then. That, that, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know what's you know what's really cool is I don't know if you know this, but it's one of the most talked about episodes to date. And and you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you guys you have to go go back and check out episode fifty two because a lot of Gainesville, a lot of people have seen John speak. We've seen you speak on amazing topics, culture, leadership, and you know, everything. But we actually got to kind of dive deep into your story and yeah. kind of hear how you got to where you were. And it was incredible. And I found out through uh, really just through the the grapevine and through a lot of the comments on YouTube and that kind of thing that there are professors at the University of Florida that have kind of pulled our podcast into their curriculum. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. And they have the students watch, you know, a handful of different episodes and do a report on them. And one of the one of the ones that they want students to listen to is your story. Our 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 podcast. <laughs> our podcast. I just happen to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> so from episode fifty two. And so it is. It's one of the most talked about episodes. Really, really great. Go watch it, episode fifty two. But um we recently got the opportunity to reconnect post-COVID. Yep. I'm so glad that this is starting <laughs> to wind down a little bit. Things are getting a little bit back to normal. Um, and, you know, we started talking about, because I was kind of telling you my stuff about, hey, like, I'm, I'm doing what I have to do in business, mm-hmm. but not necessarily what I want to do. Obviously, since the growth of this show, I've become more and more passionate about this podcast. I think that this, I really think that this could be the next vehicle, um, you know, to really help grow Gainesville. When I look at what our team did with scooters for the University of Florida, I'm like, man, like we had such an impact. I think this podcast can do that on a completely different level now. So my passions have started to shift. And so you guys, I was really telling John uh, a lot about this and as gracious as you are, you're like, well, let's just jump on a Zoom call and let's just brainstorm some stuff. Let's just talk. Let's just talk it through. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, I would love to do that, but I think it would really provide a lot more people value uh, if we could get you in the studio and we could just, you know, talk about it. And so, what I really wanted to kind of focus on was when your passions shift, you know, what the 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 steps that business owners should really start to take in order to make a proper exit mm-hmm. from their company because I believe that that's what my next step is. I don't know if it's in a year, I don't know if it's in two years, I don't know if it's in five years, but like I know that I want to make an exit from being the operator of a scooter dealership and start entering into a, a new world, if you will. Yeah. So I was like, John, come on in. Well, you know, we're <laughs> right now we're up against thing. You know, we had the Great Recession. Now we have the Great Resignation. Uh, a lot of people are leaving their jobs. They've been home for a year uh, or a year and a half. They figured I don't really like what I'm doing. It doesn't align with my values. I want to spend more time home with my family. Uh, and I, so I see a lot of not only employees but business owners 
saying, I'm going to make a change. I'm ready to go try something different. And you and I were chatting about small businesses here in Gainesville, like mine, yours. And there's a, there's a challenge to that because other than your building and your scooters, you don't really have much other assets uh, long term. And we were talking about the fact that this podcast is now a major part of your marketing for your company. And if you're not doing the podcast, you're not driving business to the doors here because that's how you've created a lot of your brand. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it's definitely become a a part. A lot of the Gainesville business scene definitely knows that I'm the owner of a scooter dealership because because of the podcast. And I don't necessarily have to put, I mean, we have put scooter ads into our show, but we don't necessarily even have to do that, right? It's just the fact that I'm associated with the, the scooters. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, a yeah, little bit. scooter guy. <laughs> uh, well, that makes it hard when you are the business. When you're a big part of the business, your face is the business, people know you, they trust you. Uh, years ago, I owned an advertising firm and I had several other advertising firms in town come and ask me to buy them. And I went, but you're not worth anything. And they're like, but I've been doing this for 20 years. Well, unfortunately, other than your building and your equipment, there's nothing else you can guarantee me. You can't guarantee me a revenue stream, your clients, your customers, that your staff will stay. Uh, You could walk out tomorrow, I buy your business for 40 million bucks and a month from now, it's, it's gone. It's just disappeared. So at least you have some assets that you can sell. But one of the things you look at is how can I transition out of this? We look a little bit like why you started this, Colin. Jim Collins does a great job in his book, Good to Great, talking about the three circles of a world-class company, what he calls the hedgehog concept. And that is what are something that you're you're world-class at, truly world-class, I'm pretty good at this, but I'm great at this. Number two is I'm deeply passionate about it, I love it. And then number three is it has a strong economic driver in the marketplace. A lot of people have the first two, I'm really good at something I love to do. Unfortunately, no one will pay for that. And that's called a hobby. And we see a lot of startups and entrepreneurs do that sort of stuff. So step one is when you're getting ready to transition is what are you gonna transition to? Unless you're, unless you're gonna sell your company at a, at a high enough multiple that you don't have to work again. And what I've found is almost every entrepreneur that sells their business says they're gonna retire. It lasts about six months or a year and then they get bored and they wanna get back into something else. So unless you're prepared to do that, you're gonna to have to make some sort of a tr- transition. I'm a huge fan for don't jump from this rock until you've got another rock to land on. So you know, step one would be, what, what do I see as my next step in this after I leave this business? Or have you ever thought about just turning it over to someone else to run? Yeah, so <laughs> you know, I think we've talked about this on the show a few times, I mean we've, I would say that that's kind of at the place of where I was, mm-hmm. right? Back in back in 2018, New Scooters for Less had just come, come off uh, an amazing year. Because we started the, this show in May of 2018. Um, and, you know, ironically, like we were doing a lot of content for the scooter dealership. We were making like videos, vlogs, all sorts of stuff. And that really started to get some, attra- you know, some, some attention. And then we started making, you know, we started making promotional videos for ourselves. And I actually, you know, I don't know how many people, <laughs> you know, our listening audience, I don't know if you guys know this, but we actually ended up making like a promotional video for ourselves that we ended up um, giving to a distributor. Mm-hmm. And said and said, hey, like here's a video, uh, you know, give this to all your dealers. This will really help, you know, build your brand and get it out there and that kind of thing. And they came back to us and like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. 
how much would it cost to have you guys do this for every scooter model that we sell? And then the next day, we signed this big agreement doing scooter videos for one of the top scooter di- distributors in the country. And all of a sudden, I had this like little this media line uh, in the business where we were doing videos for some local companies, we were doing videos for ourselves, we were doing videos for distributors, and that kind of, I mean, I had on my P&L, you know, media work, and I'm like looking at Mike and I'm like, man, I was like, we might have to start looking at, you know, creating a new company here uh, and moving this off of new scooters for less, which is where we ended up getting to by the end of 2018. So 2019, I stepped full force into this media company. Um, Actually, I had an investor, had some money, and, and started putting all my time and attention there while Mike was running the scooter dealership. And I think the biggest mistake I made there was that even though you know our team could kind of run the dealership here, I was I was really sucking payroll from the scooter dealership, while the team really kind of had had to make up for my role mm-hmm. and fill in the fill in that gap, and so it really hurt the scooter dealership. Not only that, sales did actually drop because of my exit. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just because I'm just a natural salesman, a natural marketer. I would think so, yes. You know, sales, <laughs> sales, sales dropped, right? And then that's 2019, and then 2020 shows up, and it's like, oh man, now I gotta step in and save the company. I can't like put this on everybody else's shoulders. Yeah. And so, so this is a long-winded answer to your question, but like, basically, I've always felt that the company has always sucked me. If I had somebody in that role where I could go and like leave it to a general mm-hmm. manager or something, go do something else, for whatever reason, the company keeps sucking me back in. Sucking me back in. Why do you in. think that is? Um, so uh, one was a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> and, understand yeah, that. When, you, was like, when it, your company drops off a cliff, you gotta kind of be there to catch it. Yeah. Um, the other is that you know, I think Mike and I, because Mike was really the the general manager after I left, and and you know took control of it all. I think he and I were too similar <laughs> um, from the at, from the standpoint of we both have a hard time of holding people accountable. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, John, John's biggest, a big accountability guy. Yeah, second biggest problem of every company in the world. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I was always one of those guys that's like, you know, I want to know like what your vision is, what your goals are, how I can help you as a leader achieve them. You know, I'm all into that. Like, but I don't want to be the guy sitting down with you because you're showing up late to work and to doing, doing your four pieces of paper and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, which is in the first episode, by the way, you guys should definitely check it out. Great, great accountability plan that John has. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do that stuff. Yeah. And unfortunately, neither does Mike. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know that, what I mean? That could be a problem. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, I'm doing a lot of executive coaching now. My whole business changed when uh, the pandemic hit. I was on the road an average of 200 days a year all over the world. And literally one day it stopped. Uh, I have not traveled. Actually in 2019, I traveled about 187 days in 2020, one day. 
So everything immediately for me went virtual and we had to change the whole business model as you've had to do and many people have. But I, I was coaching some folks today talking about succession planning. I've got one guy working at a Fortune 500 company. He really wants to move up higher in the organization and part of the problem is he has no one he can replace himself with. Mm -hmm. And his senior leaders have said, you're too valuable where you are. I can't take you out of that position to give you a promotion because I don't have anybody that can do your job. So that's a big thing. If you own a company, you don't want to sell it. You need to be thinking 18 or 24 months, 36 months down the road of how do I groom someone that, that does want to do this, that, that wants to help people hold them, doesn't mind holding them accountable, that sort of stuff, and get a plan in place where you can set it up that when you step out of the business, I, I've got one CEO I was just coach, I'm still coaching. He took six months off to be with his kids. But for a year and a half, we were prepared. We were preparing somebody else to step into his shoes. He still owns a company, but we made a rule. You're not allowed to call for six months. If there's a major emergency, we need you, we'll call you. Other than that, this business doesn't exist without you. And by the way, they are making more money than when he left. Dang. Uh, and it was a very successful company, but he's out in Yellowstone with his kids and his company's doing about $60 million a year at 18% growth and a very nice profit margin, and he hasn't talked to anyone in the company in six months. But that's because there was a plan in place. So, you know, he he's gonna come back. I don't even know if he'll stay in his company, depending on what his sabbatical goes like. But he also said, I'm not getting out of business. I'll start another company or I'll create a an offshoot of the company, kind of like you are, the media part of the house, but I'm mm -hmm. still gonna own that. But I'm gonna refuse to talk to anybody in that company about anything but what I'm interested in. So he's been real clear on being able to find someone that could take his position so he could easily step out without any worries. Everything that you just described is the dream, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I, I know that so many business owners are listening to this and saying, oh my gosh, I, like that, that's great. Yes, how do, how, do we, like, how do we do that? Because it, you know, I've had plenty of small business owners and, and a lot of us are feeling it right now because of this pandemic yeah. where they can't even hire anybody. Like yeah. you can't even hire anybody. So, you know, we got Hero from Dragonfly down in Miami doing the dishes and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I was like, does that ever stop? Does that ever In a restaurant stop? industry, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, so like for me, I'm just like, man, the, the idea, the idea of being able to own this scooter dealership and not ever have to step foot in it is a dream. That'd be a dream come true. Well, but I don't it, know if it's possible. Well, two things. One of the things I wanted to make a point on that is in certain industries, it's what I call milk the cows. You gotta be there every day. You gotta be up at three, milk the cows, gotta milk them again in the afternoon. You get, restaurants is one of those. Your business, if you're not running, is not one of those, nor is mine. Uh, so that idea of succession planning, bringing someone in has values that match yours. Uh, you're gonna have to give them part of the business to keep them motivated. Uh, so, you know, maybe not sell them part of the business, but give them profit sharing. Something that says, you're gonna run this place, you wanna run it great, you have a huge upside on this, huge upside. Uh, but you need to tie in. One of the things when I hire people uh, or, or we do that is sit down and really let them know this is the worst it can possibly be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the worst case scenario of how hard this is, and that way when you take over, it doesn't seem that bad. Uh, another thing, here's a hiring technique I used if I was gonna bring someone in to, uh, to, when I used to, when I left the Rockefeller Foundation, I was a stand-in CEO at several companies, and my job was to replace myself, 
to bring in a new CEO. And I only had a couple questions, and one of them, which I, if I were gonna turn a business over to somebody, would be, and I, they walk in, you know, I was in my 30s, and they're in their 50s, and I'd say, could you take the next hour, and in as much detail as possible, tell me everything you know about our company, our top three competitors, our industry, and where you see it in five years. If I was gonna let someone take my business over, they would know that stuff pat. Mm. They'd have a vision, they'd be clear, they'd understand the competition, they'd be excited about the marketplace. Uh, and then I have another phrase, I wouldn't work with you if I won't work for you. So it's a really high bar to say, if you're gonna be a partner, or you're gonna take over part of my business, you gotta be somebody I respect enough and trust enough and who has enough integrity that I, I would happily do the other way, I would run your business for you. Okay. In a world where I feel like transition happened so much more than it used to in the past, right? People used to get a job and then they would be there their entire lives. They would work for a company their entire lives, right? That doesn't like, exist anymore. I, I know, so like I hear this and I'm like, you know, I mean, I, I felt like I was lucky because I had Mike. I mean, Mike had been working, I mean, he had started working with me in 2004, left for some school and some other stuff, and then came back later and worked with me for several more years. Uh, but even now, like he's not here today, and yeah. a lot of his, you know, he, it, you know, get, got engaged. Li- you know, li- life happens, right? Yeah. And is no longer living in Gainesville. So, uh, you know, th- that's the bottom. Like life happened. I mean, even if I found that person, I'm so afraid that okay, uh, they life happens mm-hmm. and they leave after a year and then I'm back in trying to find another one to replace him. Well, you know, and I, I'm, and I don't know the size of the other organizations that you were kind of talking about, but on like a small business like this one, like that's a big deal, right? Cause I'm gonna have to go, I could be on my six month sabbatical and find out that, oh, life happened, general manager left and now I gotta go step back in to replace them again and go through that process again. That may happen, but you've just made a point. You should not have to go through that process again. Whoever the new general manager is should be should be training their replacement. From the first day they get here, the first month, identify somebody they, th- they think has talent that's interested in the business and start from immediately getting them ready to take over their job. If they have to leave or life happens, uh, or if they they wanna do the same thing eventually is say, I'd like to move out and do something else with you, Colin. Let's start another business over here and I'm gonna put Susie in charge of this place now because I've been been getting her ready for a year and a half or two years. There should always be a line of succession in every kind. And you know, it's even more important for a small business because if you've got 10 employees, you lose one, you just lost 10% of your workforce. Yeah. <laughs> if you have <laughs> a, you know 10,000 and you lose 100, big deal, it's not that big of a deal. So it's even more important in a small business to look at succession planning, to look at you know owners and directors insurance and all the other stuff you have because your margin for error is so much smaller. Than, and by the way, the business I was talking about, it's a business here in Florida, 130 employees, $50 million in revenue, a large business, but in the scheme of things, it's basically a family-owned business. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've got a little bit more room. It's one of the things that I think is really interesting with small businesses is it's even more important for you to spend the time to find talent because every single person is integral to your company. If I've got a big company, a couple people are eh, mediocre, I can survive that. You get a company like this and a couple people are mediocre, you don't survive that. Yeah. That's huge. Well, so one of my questions would be, you know, for somebody like myself who's planning an exit, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think it's better to find somebody to run the business and hold on to it, or is it better to sell and exit? It depends on what the profitability is 
And if it, if you believe it's a business that can be run without you. So you and I were talking about for some businesses, we use me as an example, my business is me. Um, and I have people approach me all the time, oh, I'd like to be your partner, this, that, and the other. And it's sort of like, well, if you're, if you're good enough to do what I do, you don't really need me. You could go out and do this on your own. And you know, why would you need me? And, and I am the brand. So, and I know I've built that into my own organization. I'm, I'm right now looking at creating other parts of my organization, partnering with a, some folks in New Zealand and Canada and some other stuff to be able to make sure that if I decide to step out, I've got eight or nine trainers, partners, and uh, associates, if you will, that are gonna be able to come in and step in and do it. The hard part is, is if you do sell your company to somebody else, depending on the, the size of the company, most people are gonna ask you to stay for a couple of years. They're gonna, you know, most VC companies, when I see that, if they buy somebody's company, you're locked in on a contract for three years plus, 30% of your payout has to stay in the business as an investment. So even mm -hmm. then, and, and here's what I see all the time is, the minute people sell their business to somebody else and they say you have to stick around for a couple of years to keep it running and turn all the contracts and relationships over to me, usually that person just checks out. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to be there in the first place. Right. So now they've sold a business and they're still locked in for three years where they, they now have to take orders from someone else. Someone else has all the power and all the money. You used to run it, now someone else is telling you what to do and you have to meet certain numbers and if you don't meet those numbers, you don't get your payout. So why do you think most businesses end up hanging on to that person for that long? Is it just because they're so afraid that they can't do it without them? Oh, you mean the owner? Yeah, the owner. Uh, two, uh, two reasons, relationships, and then they don't want them to go start another company. Most of them have a non-compete or some sort of you can't go to the competition. But I have seen when that wasn't in place where someone sells their business to somebody else and takes the money and goes right over and, and builds a better business. A different way of doing it with the, under a new brand or something else that doesn't have maybe some of the baggage that the brand they own had, or they wait a year or two and then enter the market. But they, they ask them to stick around to keep the relationships going, to train their replacement, to help other people understand the processes and the systems. I mean, you're, you're an example, almost every entrepreneur is you started this from nothing. You know it intricately. You know how it works, how much inventory to buy, what kind of inventory to buy. You know how to look at your customers, see what they're interested in, new products and new products and services you can bring to the market. You know that because this is your baby. And for most people that know small business, it's it is like a baby. It's hard to let go of that baby and give it and put it in somebody else's hands. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because now, <laughs> well, because. Now that I have really started to zone in on, okay, I gotta stay in this business a little bit longer. Yep. I don't know, I don't really want to. Again, it's kind of going back to the fact that like, and, and let me be very clear, and I, and I know I've said this in previous episodes, but to be very clear for this episode, I love this business. Oh, it's a great business. Yeah, I've, I've had this for 17 years. Uh, you know, it, I'm just definitely reaching that point in my career where I feel like my life and you know my purpose uh, was meant for something much greater than owning a retail scooter dealership in the middle of Gainesville, Florida. And 17 years is a long time to do something that is fairly rote. I mean, you get scooters in, you sell scooters, you fix scooters, you get scooters in, you skulls. It's not like there's a, is there, I'm gonna ask you, is there a ton of variety to this where you come to work and it's different and challenging, unique, and there's all kinds of new things happening every day? There's always very new and interesting customers. Customers <laughs> and problems, but the heart uh, right. of the business the is race, yeah, is race is basically yeah. buy scooter scales, sell scooters, fix scooters. Absolutely. Um, 
most people get to that point where they said, I've been there, done that. It's not challenging anymore. It doesn't, you know, I've evolved past that. I mean, most people graduating from college today will have between five to seven careers, not jobs, right. careers in their life. I'm 57 and I'm on like number four. Uh, so I've owned a couple of different companies, done different things, and I've always learned, and this is you, it goes right to you and me, when it's not fun anymore, I find a way out. But I don't do it, you know, in a month, I, it takes me two or three years to say, I'm gonna pivot everything, we're gonna change over here, I'm gonna sell this company, I'm just gonna shut this company down and do something different. Even to this day, there are parts of my company that there are things I just don't wanna do anymore. I mean, I remember walking through the Charlotte airport once after delivering a major presentation on negotiations, and I called my wife, Sheila, and said, I don't wanna do negotiations anymore, it isn't fun. Mm. I didn't enjoy teaching it, it didn't feel exciting to me. Take that off the website, I never wanna do that again. So that happens to a lot of business owners. Yeah, I'm definitely in this place where, okay, now that I've made that decision, I want to exit at some point, and, and I, I've really kind of had it in my mind of I'm gonna sell. Yeah, um, I'm totally open. <laughs> I'm totally open with keeping the business. Um, I'm totally open with selling most of the business um, and staying on as a consultant. And or like, there, there's definitely several possibilities. Um, you know, I guess I'm just very afraid of getting sucked back in for whatever reason. Uh, should I? You know, should I sell the majority of it or or have a general manager, that kind of thing. So now, like with my mindset being very focused on like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm zeroed in, focus on EBITDA. I wanna yep. build this net income to make to make this more attractive. You know, I, I think a lot of the pandemic kind of helped me with that because transparency with everybody. I mean, I had the business listed for sale. Yeah. Like I got to the point where I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I mean, and there was times where I was like, well, if the pandemic, you know, hopefully I, part of me was like, maybe I can sell this to somebody before the pandemic ruins us. I mean, there was definitely yeah. that kind of mindset too. Um, <laughs> being very transparent on this well, episode. Let me interrupt you there for yeah, a second. Please. Cause I want to tell you something that I told a lot of people that I work with during the pandemic. It's not your fault. You were running a great business, you had happy customers, you got a happy staff, they're engaged, you're making money, and then all of a sudden one day the pandemic hits and the whole thing goes you know where. And for so many small business owners, they took it personally. It was pain, I let my employees down, mm -hmm. I should have seen this coming, it's my fault. It's not. You couldn't predict this, you know, every hero, and our friends at Dragonfly and a bunch of the other businesses in town, heroes running a world-class organization, then the next day his doors are shut. Right by no fault of his own. So part of it, you know, the pandemic has changed the way a lot of us look at our businesses, but you also have to back up and say, it wasn't my fault. I gotta fix it, Yeah, <laughs> I gotta fix it, but I, I don't need to sit around and wallow and go, I should have known this was coming, I should have done something different. Should, be, should businesses be more prepared for a disaster though? Should we have a, a an emergency fund? Should well, we have, you, you know, like a, re a reserve of cash for when something like something happens? I mean, cause I, like I'll be, and I've said this on the show, like I, I wasn't, I mean, you know, we, w this happened and without that PPP money, we would have been done. Yeah. I actually thank Jane Harris today, uh, this morning at Florida Credit Union because we just went through our second round of PPP and I used 100% of the PPP money for payroll. That's all I used it yeah. for. And I sent her a message and I just said, hey, thank you so much because I just want you guys, like you guys made this fl like flawless execution and without this money, we definitely would not be in business right now. Well, that's a lot of people, a lot of people. So your question is, should you have a cushion? Absolutely. Um, best practice would be a full year. And most, you know, 
full year would be great. Six months would be, you know, okay. Uh, and that's a lot of cash for some companies. And, you know, a lot of the companies I work with have a reserve, like the most of the companies I get, and as you get bigger and bigger, you can't have a billion dollars in cash sitting around. But most of the medium-sized companies I work with have 20 or 30 million sitting in the bank. They'll handle everything for six or eight months. Uh, and and that, then they could draw on a credit line, which you wouldn't want to do. But So when you look at understanding disasters, there's a sort of a quadrant thing, and I won't look at it, but it's, it's risk analysis around probability and impact. What is the probability that something would go wrong, and what's the impact if it did? So prob- probability there was going to be a global pandemic. I don't know if anyone could have made that estimation. I'm sure there's scientists somewhere that said it's a pretty high probability, but I'll give you another one. Probability that someone would blow up something in New York. Actually, it was very, very high. Uh, when I was when I was during that, I was working at Merrill Lynch as a consultant and out in Hopewell, New Jersey. They had an entire uh, part, what's the word I wanna use? Uh, what do they call that? Campus, completely sitting there ready to go all the computers, all the food, all the offices, everything completely empty, waiting if there was an an emergency in New York. When the Twin Towers went down, they took all those people and moved them to New Jersey the next day. There were business continuity. Now think of the investment they made to have all that stuff sitting there for 15,000 employees because it was high probability, high impact. In in Florida, if you have a business on the coast, you better have a hurricane plan because mm. it's not an if, it's a when. Right. So each of us as small business owner leads to look at what's the chance that something bad could go wrong and examine those things. And then what would happen to the business if it did? AKA, if you got hurt or injured, uh, if I got hurt or injured. That's, you know, for my business, if I can't travel, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, so looking at, and you know, looking out there now, if it's if it's not if it's high probability, low impact, that's something you you delegate to somebody else. It's a learning experience. There's good chances it's going to blow up, but if it does, it won't hurt the company at all. And if it's low probability, low impact, don't even look at it. Just give it to somebody else and say, it's yours. Handle it. Uh, and when it's high probability, high impact like that, that's when you have a contingency plan. That's when you put money away for just in case something like that happened. Is this helpful? This is amazing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, like, I like, like, have all these little bullet points and things to come back to. Good. I mean, so with that though, you know, sometimes I question over this last year or so because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. if I just uh, had reached the ultimate burnout. Oh, uh, you'd be one of mm, 26 billion. Uh, I, I'm working with several people I'm coaching right now that are absolutely hit the wall. Yeah. Um, my very, very favorite CEO on the face of the earth, I talked to him yesterday, it looks like he got run over by a truck. He's not sleeping, he's worried. Um, I'm, I'm stressed, you know, I'm going, I've been through depression through this. I've been, had anxiety attacks and stuff because this was scary. So a lot of people are burned out. And let me make a really important point. If one of your listeners feels like that right now, ask for help. It's not uh, a sh- sign of weakness, it's a sign of courage and strength. A lot of people are, are really struggling through all this. When you're faced with something that you perceive as negative change, you actually go through the same emotional states as if someone close to you had died. Hmm. And I think we're, perceived, we're, we're faced with what most people would perceive as very negative change, then add the political landscape, the economic landscape, the social landscape, the global landscape to all this. It's more pressure and stress than probably most of us have ever been under in our lives. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
on that point, like I think one of the biggest realizations that I had was how directly um, tied cash flow is to a, a leader's, a CEO's mental health. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like just b- because of the pure stress of, you know, I mean, there were there were days where and weeks where I'm like, I'm like, we don't we don't have enough for payroll this week. Yeah. In the middle of this pandemic, I'm like, like I'd have no, and we would just get, <laughs> praise Jesus, we would get just enough. Yeah. Just enough. Just enough. You know, and 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 things worked out. Uh, but man, I was, you know, I kind of go back to like the that burnout feeling that man, I'm just kind of done with this. You know, I'm ready to move on. I've been, you know, obsessed about this new thing anyway. You know, uh, but the thought went through my mind uh, and I feel like kind of guilty even admitting this, but the thought went through my mind, maybe I should just toss in the towel and blame it on the pandemic. There's plenty of people <laughs> that did that and I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair way out. If you're even, really even though out. I knew that I could figure it out, I yeah. knew I could figure out a way to get through it. Yeah. Like I could have gone out and, you know, raised more money. I could have got, you know, I, I know that I could have figured out a way to get through it, but the, the thought was, nah. That thought has gone through many, 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 many entrepreneurs' mind in the last year and a half. There's a lot of people that were right at the brink, every you know, just barely making payroll meeting. And I've been there, done that. I've owned companies where everybody gets well. If you're an entrepreneur, everybody gets paid before you. Right. Uh, and then you know, somebody asked me once, or, or what one of the hardest parts of being a leader is. And I remember you know some of the larger companies I've run, laying awake at night and thinking about the. 110 kids I had to put through college. I don't have kids, but I worry about the families. They gotta, they gotta pay their mortgage. They gotta, they gotta take care of their kids. They gotta send them to college or whatever they wanna do. And that's my, as far as I'm concerned, that's my responsibility. Uh, I'm the one that asked them to come and work for me and promised I'd take care of them. Right. Uh, now they understand if there's a pandemic and you have to lay some people off, it's very painful. But you, they don't look at you and it's just because he wants to take more money and buy a bigger boat so he's, you know, jettisoning a few of those so we can get more cash flow or whatever. Um, but, you know, again, everybody's burned out. A lot of people hit the wall. Um, we have a lot of friends. I know that I've talked to them that they were right on the edge too of, I just don't know if I could do this anymore. It's too much pain. It's too much stress. Um, but you pulled through on the other side and yeah. you were able to keep some people paid and paying their mortgage and taking care of their family. So, so I mean, so here's another interesting thing. I think a lot of the transparency that I had led to me losing a lot of my team um, from the standpoint of, you know, I was just very straightforward. I'm like, look, I mean, I, I sat down with my team and I told them, I was like, look, I got enough PPP to get through the end of April. I don't know what's going to happen after that. I think that's good. I'm a huge fan for massive transparency because what happens if you walk in and go at the end of April, hey, everybody ran out of money, sorry you don't have a job. Right, You know, that's some, why I was trying to help. The problem is that a lot of them went out and got new jobs and now now we've made it through and now here I am with you know a business that normally runs on 20 people has six Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I'm struggling. I'm like, I mean, but at the same time, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this and this is, I have a feeling that a lot of entrepreneurs out there are in this in this same boat. Or they're they're really thinking this through now. I'm I don't want to say I'm like I'm kind of rekindling that fire because mm-hmm. I've been I've been on the showroom floor. I'm unlocking the door in the morning. <laughs> no. I'm unlocking the door. <laughs> I'm working from nine thirty to five thirty. I'm locking the door. I'm like business. Hey, you want to go out and grab some lunch? Can't can't because I'm working the showroom floor. You know, it's I'm back to like the roots of it all. It's allowed me to step back in. I'm seeing things through a different lens, you know, because the lens 10 years ago, 
compared to the lens now when I was, I was doing that 10 years ago. Now I'm doing it again, but it's, it's a little bit different. The environment's different, right? Uh, but now, because I am so focused on this, this EBITDA, I'm like, man, do I really need to hire that person? Mm-hmm. Do I, can I figure out a process to replace this person? And I don't know if I necessarily was in that place in, before. You know, I'm like, Mike's gone. You know, our tag clerk, who was kind of in-house title clerk, is gone. Um, my only salesperson is gone. Like, I'm doing, I'm doing those three positions plus the stuff that I normally did by myself. Now I'm working my butt off. Cash flow is great. Yep. <laughs> so what happens, and you're going to see this in a lot of companies, is the pandemic made them change the way they did business. Uh, I've got several clients where this is the most money they've ever made in the history of their company because they realized like insurance, uh, financial planners, uh, I'm talking to a guy today that does uh, annuities and things like that. He's like, I've seen 15 clients a day. I only used to be able to see one or two because I I don't plan to get back on a plane. He just said uh, his group, uh, I won't go into the, it's again a Fortune 500 company. We used to spend $20 million a year on travel. You know what we're gonna do with that? We're gonna put it all, we're gonna take it down to 2 million. Mm. Yeah, where if, if you really, really, really have to go someplace, we'll let you. Otherwise, you've just pro- proven in the last year, you could do your work as good or better sitting at home. So a lot of companies like yours are retooling, they're refocusing, customer expectations have changed pretty dramatically. We've been forced, uh, I love a, one of the, the guys I work with came up with this great idea called force switching, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about per se, but he was talking about the fact that his kids loved, let's just say, Jiffy peanut butter, and that's what they always bought at the store, Jiffy, 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 and when the pandemic hit and he couldn't shop and he was having stuff delivered to his house, they ran out of Jiffy one day and brought him Peter Pan. And his family said, oh, we don't have Jiffy. They took it and they go, ooh, this is so much better. We'll never eat Jiffy again for switching. So some of us have been forced into changing the way we do business, changing who our customers are, changing the way we, you know, way people buy. Uh, it's it's a pretty fascinating way. So I, I think uh, where we put on a quote before, where, where there's chaos, there's also opportunity. Yeah. I mean, our, our business has changed dramatically uh, completely reversed from almost all on the road to the longest I've ever been in one city since I graduated from college was 22 days. I've now been home for almost 400 or something like that with only one day away. And we're doing as well as, as we've ever done. Do you prefer that? I don't know yet. I like being home. I like being home with my wife and getting to see the staff and everybody and our team. Um, I, I do want to go back on the road, but I want to be very, it's kind of like you. I don't want to be traveling to Detroit and flying, you know, the red eye to get home. I think I'm going to pick stuff like I'm going to go to New Zealand or Australia or, you know, uh, someplace really beautiful. But the ones that, and this is another thing, the ones that aren't a real target client for me, which is good companies that want to get better, good executives want to get better, and the, the audience is not all potential customers, I'm going to refer that away. I'll let somebody else take that because it's better for me to sit at the office and read, study, learn, write another book and talk to the clients I have now. And totally different than two years ago. Totally different. So this is kind of off topic as well, but as, as a one-man show, like how do you divvy up your time? I mean, I know that your wife and you have a great team, uh, but like as the as the, the speaker, the coach, yeah. like how are you dividing your time between coaching and traveling and speaking? And okay, so I mean, if you were gonna have a pie chart, what would that it's look gonna like? It's gonna be, a pie chart is 
80% of my time I work on content and learning. Oh, wow. 20% of my time I work on, you know, uh, catch emails and things like that. But I've, luckily I've gotten to a place where I have Adriana and Domingo on my team, Sheila, and they do almost all the back end. So, you know, I, I read for an hour and a half, two hours a day every day. Um, I might talk to three clients a day at an hour and a half. So a, a typical day for me now, this is changing, is 10 in the morning till 6.30 or 7 in the evening while it's, while it's summer. Okay. When it becomes winter and it changes, I, I have a rule, no matter where I, you know, when I'm home, I'm always gonna watch the sunset, period. That's awesome. And I don't, unless a client calls me with an absolute emergency, one of my lines in the sand, like I'll make it home tonight to watch the sunset. Uh, that was one of the reasons I timed it out. Okay. Um, because that's a rule, because that's one of the things that brings me peace and keeps me grounded and awesome. gets me re-energized for the next day. But yeah, I, luckily I've gotten to a place in my business where I've 80% or almost all the stuff that I don't wanna do is done by somebody else to let me do, you know, I'm up for another award again or we're getting ready for top 50 in the world at what I do. If I wasn't, didn't have the time to read, study, learn. Well, by the way, one of the other things the pandemic has been so cool about, if there's an upside, is I've connected with people around the world that I never could have talked to because we, we as a group were always on planes. So I've been able to read a book and pick up the phone, you know, send an email to the author in Moscow mm, uh, and say, cool. Oleg, how you doing, brother? And and it is Oleg Konovalov is a guy. I read his book. I loved his book. I sent him an email. We're now writing a book together. That's awesome. That, that never would have happened without the pandemic. Never would have happened. How long did it take you to get to that to that point? To the point where you can like watch every sunset and you had the team to help you with all the the back end stuff. Do you remember? Twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah. Three more years. I'm in I'm in it 30 years now. Okay. So it, it took me a good 20 years to get to the point where I, I A, I was a good enough leader, even though I teach leadership, uh, and I still mess up a lot, but I could surround myself with really talented people. Uh, and, and one of the things that, and you, you probably saw this too, it, we see this a lot of entrepreneurs who solve businesses, if you don't have a succession plan and someone doesn't see a path, a career path, you should lose your best people about every three to five years. Mm. They should quit and go, because they've learned all they can and there's no place else for them to go. You know, the, how many layers of management are there here? Right now, just me. One. <laughs> <laughs> like the end all. It, well, it's, it's the same at my business, one. Why my wife? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but other than that, if you're with us for three or four or five years, you should go someplace else where there's more of a career path, more of an opportunity, new things to learn. Uh, and I think a lot of businesses go like, why did they leave me? Um, there's a, there was a great computer uh, algorithm company in town, Optum, and their best people got poached by Google and Facebook. And yeah, that's great because I got someone who's now at Google for four years. I got that that level of talent, and they weren't gonna do that in Gainesville. Yeah. And there was only three levels of management there. So one of the things for a lot of entrepreneurs to think about is, unless you find a career path or something, your best people should leave every three to five years. And be prepared for it, don't feel bad, feel good for them. Yeah, that's huge. This has been amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, I, it, it's crazy that, I mean, we, we talk so fast. <laughs> which I love, I'm, like, I'm like, I wanna cram it in and cram it in. I mean, we've, you know, we're already getting at like the 50 minutes, which is crazy. Um, but real quick, before we wrap this up, like, what, so what are you reading right now? Are you spending all that time reading? Like, what's, what's, what's So I just read um, a book by Adam Grant called Think Again, which is about how we have uh, mental biases in, in decision-making 
Um, I'm reading, at, at night I refuse to read business at my home. Hmm. Uh, so I'm reading Seneca, I like uh, Stoics a lot. Let me see, I'm trying to think, I just, I've read a couple of really good looks lately. Awesome one on vulnerability as a leader from Brene Brown, who she did some amazing TED Talks, has one leading, uh, leading, wait a minute, hold on. Daring to lead, daring to lead. I'm trying to think, oh, uh, Hubert Jolie, who is the former CEO of Best Buy, he was the one that turned it around. He has an awesome book out called uh, The Heart of Business. And it's all about loving your people. And that it, when he came in and they were you know, in serious shape and he, he 10X'd it twice up to like 48 billion, uh, he said it's pretty simple. People first, customers, sec- customers and processes second, financials will take care of themselves. And he went in and turned that entire company and every great CEO I've ever worked with and every great company, that's the way he looked at it. People uh, take great care of your people, they'll take great care of your customers, that'll take care of your financials. Uh, and it goes about a saying that I love, the customer's experience will never exceed the employee's experience. If you have disengaged, unhappy, surly employees, you will not have happy customers and you will not have a profit. And when, when you look at three or four of these folks that were running 30, 40, $50 billion companies, and that's the way they run those. And, and by the way, Colin, real important point here, having done this from startups to Apple, and it's the exact same problems. There's just more zeros. I mean, literally, the conversation we're having is a conversation I sit and have with people who run 10 billion, 20 billion, 30 billion dollar companies. It's the exact communication, accountability, people, teamwork. <laughs> accountability. It's the exact same thing. It's just they have a lot more zeros behind the, the revenues and the people. Oh, man. <laughs> so much. It's so heavy. I feel like it's heavier with the more zeros, though. It is. It's a lot more responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you when you have a hundred thousand employees, that's what four hundred thousand kids you have to put through college. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It, it, it's so funny because I don't know. I think there was a point. There was a, there was a point in my career, and where I used to think that I wanted to manage a thousand, you know, a thousand people. I was like, I'm gonna be this big time CEO. I want, I want to manage a thousand people. And then the more I got it, I'm like, oh, like man, I hate babysitting. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't want to. I really don't want to manage people. I really want to, you know. I, I actually, I really admire what you do. I like, I like when I get the opportunity. You know, I go and I speak at UF all the time, and I get these students in front of me, and I get to pour into their lives, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and they message me on LinkedIn, and they say, oh my gosh, that was like the, you, like that was the greatest, you know, thing ever, thank you so much, I would love to like take you out for coffee, you know, and I and I love that. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna be a teacher, cause I don't wanna do grades. <laughs> <laughs> or get like, paid like a teacher. Yeah, yeah but like. Which but is I, unfortunate, they should be paid a ton. But, well, I have another, um, I got all these phrases I use, another one is small and highly profitable. Yes. I work with people, oh, I want a five, you know, a hundred billion dollar company, why? I'm just, and why, it's always an even number. No one ever says, I want a $93.5 million company. It's, all, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it's always a hundred million or a billion. Uh, I'll take but it. why? Well, I just always wanted to run a hundred million dollar company. You know, running a, a $20 million company that makes a ton of, of cash for you is a lot more fun than running a $50 million company where you lose money every year. Yeah. So it isn't always about growth. It's about having fun, being profitable, taking care of your people, having fun. Yeah. Well, that's why you know because of this mentality. All right, I'm zooming. I'm zoning back in on EBITDA. 
like this is my focus and you know I'm looking at things from that investor standpoint because mm-hmm. if I'm gonna sell I'm like okay well I don't think uh, an investor if somebody wants to buy a small business I don't think they want to have to deal with 25 30 employees I think they would rather have 10 where a general manager is responsible for the other nine right and and so it's definitely helped reframe kind of the way I'm looking at the business um, you know so I don't I guess my final question would be, you know, you had that person that you were working with. You said it took an, a year and a half to get to the point where they were able to like yep. leave for six months. Yeah. Um, so if that's the case, our audience is out there. They they want that. They want they want that dream so bad. I'm telling yeah. you right now, they want that dream so bad. What's what's step one? Step one is identify the person that you think could take your position. Okay. Fine. And again, somebody who's in, got integrity. They match the values of the organization. They match the culture. Is got that usually sort of, an internal person? You would want it to be if at all possible. Um, but if you don't have one, you'd have to go externally. You know, And that makes it a lot harder because you have to have them on for six or eight months to even decide if they're the right person. Okay. Uh, people, it, people can interview well or get in there and all of a sudden um, somebody who was really, really nice four months ago starts being disrespectful to other people or things like that. You would hope, it, you would hope that you had somebody internally that you could start to train. Are you big into these, I said my final question and then I go on for three more questions. <laughs> like, are, are you big into these, um, the cognitive tests and stuff when it comes to hiring and? I think they're fun. Um, but you know, it depends on what, what time of the month it is, what year. I mean, mine have changed over the years. Uh, a lot of organizations use them. And I think it's a useful tool, one of many, many tools. Uh, like I like 360 degree reviews. I think those are awesome. Okay. Uh, but they're just a tool. Uh, the hardest thing, the, the stuff you really need to understand about somebody you can't figure out in just an interview. Yeah. They, who are they? What is their purpose? What's their passion? What level of integrity do they have? Do they respect and you know care for other people? Uh, it's hard to figure that out on a tool. Uh, what it can do, and Adriana for my team, we heard Domingo and I just took one to figure out our work styles, and it is funny that I am dramatically different than some of the people on my team, okay. uh, which helps me understand why like they're real detailing on it, and I'm super big picture. Mm. Well, thank God I have somebody on my team that's loves process yep. when I hate process. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I asked, because I mean, even, the, even the, the thought of like, I mean, I hate even sitting down and doing interviews. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. No, 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 not this. I'm talking about like hiring people. Not this. I love this. I can do this all day. I want to do this all day. I'm talking about like sitting down and like doing hiring interviews and like going through that that process. And it's just man, well, you know, when it's done (laughs) right, you get the right person. I never hire anybody. If if it's done right, you get the right person. It changes your business, right? So, and again, with a company that's small, when you got under 50 employees or 10 employees, that hiring. Is it's a make or break deal. You can bring that be in the outsourced? Wrong person. What can it be outsourced? Can I can I have somebody hire people for me? Not at your size. No. No. Other companies, you know, larger companies can do it, and even then, there should be a, there's a final interview. That's what headhunters are for. You tell what they want. They go through a hundred people. They interview them all, and then they bring you three, and you make a decision. Uh, but nah, at this at this size company, it, it I'm a big fan for team interviewing making sure they meet everybody mm-hmm. and talk to everybody. And, and then I'll do one last thing before I, I let you go off. I always ask the question when we were about to hire somebody. I'd say, we love you, the team loves you, we've done all the interviewing, the tools, we've checked all your references. 
here's the deal. I'm going to make you an offer right now and you cannot accept it right now. You have to think about it overnight. But if you take this job just because you need the money or you want the benefits or the vacation, I will figure that out and I will fire you within 90 days and I will not be a good reference. However, if you like what we do, you like our customers, you like our team, you like our industry, you think it's great, and you don't really care what I offer you as long as it's fair and reasonable, you'll do the job, please take the job, you might retire here. But if, if it's just about money, benefits, and salary, do not take the job. Ready for this? 70% of the people did not accept the job, mm. 7-0. So that Adriana did. Adri- well, she she made a serious error in judgment. <laughs> uh. No, but that means I've I've I have not wasted all the money of hiring someone that was eh and didn't really want the job. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is awesome, man. Thank thank you so much. I knew that I knew this would be so great, and I'm so glad. I'm just very grateful that you made the time to of come course. to the studio and do this with us. Where can our audience connect with you? Where can they Where can they like follow your content? And you said you're doing all this content. I mean, JohnSpence.com. I mean, and I've got a blog there. Sign up for. I get a really cool uh, artificial intelligence driven newsletter that watches what you click on every time and sees the things you're interested in and then pulls just the content that I curate from all these and gives you just the stuff you're most interested in. Which is awesome because it's amazing how many like company culture articles and things come across my plate. Wonder why. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, how does John know this? <laughs> well, also, if, you, if they need to send me an email, it's pretty, it's john at johnspence.com. I'm always happy to help if I can. And he will respond. It's incredible. I don't even know how you find the time, man. Uh, Adriana but gets, sets she, everything she up she for does. me. She <laughs> doesn't <laughs> respond, but she <laughs> makes sure that I'm only responding to. No, I, I look through every, I'm happy to help everybody. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, man. I, thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you. It's thank my you. honor. It's my pleasure. And everyone, I'm telling you right now, go back and listen to episode 52 because this guy has such an incredible story. I about died when I heard the story <laughs> the first time and it's, it's absolutely incredible. You will not regret it. So episode 52, go back and listen to it. And uh, many thanks to James Leitner for setting all of this up. I mean, this beautiful lighting. And I was telling John before that, look at these upgrades, man. From episode awesome 52 to episode 159. A and lot of things. I got beer. Yeah, dude. You know? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, brother. A lot of things have changed in the, in the years, you know? Ah, that's good. So, and podcast fam, if you were driving, you didn't have a chance to get the information from our incredible sponsors, remember, go to whoagnv.com slash sponsors or look in the show notes of this episode. We always link them down there. And special love this episode to our friends over at Leonardo's Millhopper. Leonardo's Pizza offers the same classic food, family-friendly atmosphere, local beers on draft and in cans, and they even have an upgraded wine selection. I was over there just recently to pick up dinner for the family, of course. After soccer practice, we gotta have that pizza. (laughs) And did it feel good to see Leonardo's Millhopper full of patrons again? um, The world is opening up. I'm so glad to see things getting back to normal. Uh, Whether you want to dine in, order carry out, or have one of the local delivery services bring it to you, Leonardo's Millhopper has dinner covered. Kyle and the team have a huge heart for Gainesville and have been incredibly supportive of our show. So definitely show them some love and order today, you guys. Place your order by visiting leonardosmillhopper.com or by giving them a call at 352-376-2001. And when you do, be sure to say, hey, Kyle, I heard you on the WHOA GNV podcast. The podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we will see you later. Bye. Bye.